Here comes Schofield. Oh! Nastiness. Wait a second. Driving left, dunking right over Love. All right. Who can do it? Well, I, I do like lanes. That's what she said. He's got everything going early on. Schofield, the theft. And look at the Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, cool Friday afternoon in Knoxville, Tennessee time, basketball time in Tennessee time, top five basketball in Tennessee time, whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, Wes Rucker, Grant Ramey coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on the aforementioned cool Friday afternoon in Knoxville. Less than, actually almost exactly 24 hours before Tennessee hosts senior day on the football field against the Missouri Fighting Tigers, who are offensively coordinated by the great Derek Dooley ESQ, football coach, hair model, life coach, motivational speaker. Are they the Fighting Tigers, or did you just make that up? I just made that up. Now I'm depressed. It'd be cool if they were the Fighting Tigers, though. Just like a... I think it's Howard High School in Chattanooga is the Hustlin' Tigers. That's true. Forgot about that. Bengal Tigers. Shout out. Shout out Chattanooga. Shout out 423. The other 423. You're from the other part of the 423. Guys, it is a football weekend in Tennessee, and there is no basketball game this weekend. So why are we talking to you about basketball? Well, there are many reasons. What's a basketball? What's a basketball? What's a round ball? We're talking to you about this because... Well, first off, Tennessee basketball fans are a really good fan base, a criminally underrated, underappreciated fan base. The Vols also have a top five team right now and are 3-0 and and just put the finishing touches on a, a pretty solid signing class, including one of the most exciting prospects Tennessee has signed in a number of years, I believe. So there's a lot to, a lot to discuss, a lot to, a lot to break down. And so we had to, we brought in our own basketball Jones, Grant Ramey, for this podcast. Grant, thanks for uh, coming on. I need the music. Co- coming on up to uh, Knox County today. I need the Space Jam, Basketball Jones, whatever the song that was. <laughs> Got a Basketball Jones. I don't that know one. Who sang that? It's a uh, soundtrack of my childhood, the Space Jam soundtrack. It's true. There was a. Uh, I think it was that, and the uh, our middle school basketball team played a lot of jock jams. That was when oh, yeah. the, the ESPN jock jam CD came out. Maybe Tennessee needs to uh, warm up to some to some jock jams. I believe I can fly in Space Jam was iconic when you were eight years old, ten years old. How old I was? It was true, and that's before also you knew exactly all the R. Kelly stuff. And <laughs> you know. but if you before not, it became problematic, yeah. If you've not seen this before, we get going today. If you've not seen the uh, the uh, the sloth, I believe I can fly on YouTube. Uh, there's a sloth being picked up and dragged across the street. And when he, when he gets picked up, R. Kelly's I believe I can fly starts playing because he's got his arms all spread out. It's, uh, I don't want to overhype it, but it's probably one of the 10 funniest things on YouTube.com. That would be, that would be my guess. You know what was not funny, Grant, was Tennessee's offense in, uh, in a win earlier this week, a Tuesday night win. Was it Tuesday night? It was Tuesday night. Not a whole lot of fun to watch either. Tuesday night win over the Georgia Tech uh, Fighting Yellow Jackets, 66-53. to uh, A lot was made of that game. There was much consternation that evening. And I got to tell you, Grant, I don't buy it, and I don't buy it for a couple of pretty obvious reasons. One, I think uh, that game screamed for Lamonte Turner as much as any game I've seen the past couple of years. That was a street fight, a knife fight, and that's the kind of game where – you want that little bulldog in there to make plays for you and to, to rough things up a little bit and to get physical and uh, get chippy, get the team going. Uh, and secondly, despite having almost the worst-case scenario offensive performance Tennessee could have, the Vols still held an ACC opponent under 25% shooting. They still, I don't think, ever trailed by less than like three possessions for a vast majority of the game. And Tennessee won that game comfortably. They kept Georgia Tech at arm's length the entire time. So it wasn't the 
the most beautiful brand of basketball, especially the way we've seen this offense look at times. But I, I got to tell you, I think people who were upset were making a little bit too much of that. Yeah, people are going to be upset this time of year. People are going to overreact. I mean, it's a small sample size. It's a fraction of what you want to do offensively with uh, Admiral Schofield not really doing a ton on the offensive end right now through three games at least uh, with Lamonte Turner. Like you mentioned, that's a game where you need that third score. That's what Rick Barnes said after the game. That was the first game where they really missed him uh, since he's been out with this sore shoulder or whatever's going on there. Uh, they need him back. They need that off the bench. They didn't hardly get anything without off their bench. I think they had basically a, a six-man rotation for most of the second half. Uh, Derek Walker didn't play in that game at all, despite foul trouble for Grant Williams and foul trouble for Eve Pons and guys like that. So trying to figure that out. And it's it's early in the season. If you can still be comfortable like that, that's great. Uh, when you're up 12, when you're up 13 in a game like that, it feels like you're up 100 because points are so hard to come by for Georgia Tech. So if, if they can play that brand of defense, the offense will come and go. But if they can limit teams like that defensively, they'll be fine. I, I think – and. It's the reason I wrote my column about this after the game is the thing that really, even at the first half of that game, it, it kind of became pretty apparent to me that that if Tennessee doesn't didn't know before, Tennessee needs to know now that they're the sort of pe- pe- excuse me the sort of pedestal they're on right now, mm-hmm. being a top ten team now a top five team, uh, you are going to get a best shot from every team because you would be a heck of an NCAA tournament resume win for them. Right. You would be potentially a program-turning win for them. You would uh, be a chance for them to be on Sports Center. you know, to, to be on the top ten if you dunk on the top five team in the country. You know, th- they're, going to, they're going to be living the life that Kentucky has had to live for decades now. If, as long as they stay where they are, they're going to get a bus shot from everybody. Right, and, and when you – Commit to a North Carolina, a Duke, uh, a Blue Blood like that. When you sign with those schools, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, you, you should. You're signing up for that target. You want that target on your back. And when these guys came to Tennessee, Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Lamonte, Bowden, Bone, et cetera, this is what they wanted to become. Yeah. They, you you want to get to this point where you're a top five team in the country and relevant in the Final Four discussion and relevant as, a, as one of the best teams in the country. But it's going to take some adjustment, Adjustment, I think. I don't think they'll ever admit that because they say their expectations are so much higher for themselves than anybody could ever put on them and, uh, you know, kind of the company line. But I, I do think that's a transition process. You have to learn night in and night out that you're the team that people want to beat. You're one of those teams that people want to get on their resume. Uh, I mean, even if you're Georgia Tech, you're probably thinking, well, we played a pretty good team. Uh, a really good team. We played them pretty good on the road and only lost by 13 points and had opportunities in the second half where it was cut down to single digits. So uh, it's an adjustment process. They're going to take their lumps. They'll take one on the chin here at some point uh, and kind of come back down to earth a little bit. But right now uh, it's a good basketball team, and they're playing good enough basketball to to win these games. Yeah, it's, you know, everybody wants to to be the man, but you you can't be the man and you can't take all the – the sort of glory, for back of a, lack of a better word, that comes with that. You can't have that that sort of glory without having the sort of punishment that comes with it. You know, Georgia Tech was coming out for blood. Georgia Tech played such a huge rotation in that game, just throwing bodies at Tennessee left and right. And it's like it's almost like Pastner told every single one of those guys, "Listen, you've got five fouls to give. <laughs> I want you to go out there, get your money's worth." We're going to make these guys uncomfortable. Every time Williams and Schofield touch the ball, I want them to get hammered. And, and I don't mean that like in a cheap or dirty way. I mean that those were some good hard playoff fouls. You know, uh, when those guys, you know, Williams and Schofield kind of turned the corner, thought they were going up for some layups and stuff like they normally would, uh, they were getting body checked. And that's not the kind of thing that happens in, unless you're one playing a rivalry game, sort of, or, or two, a postseason game, or three. You're a top five team, and that's what's going to happen. These guys, you saw Tennessee had three guys lumping off the field at different times or lumping off the court at different times. Just a lot of physical kind of little confrontational kind of moments. It's, I think you can look at the replay, and I don't want to assume anything, but you could almost see some intent there from the Georgia Tech player to step on Schofield's ankle the way he did. And those sorts of things, they're going to happen. They're going to happen on the road in SEC play. They're going to happen when teams come in, you know, lower-level SEC teams come into the Tommy Bowl and try to do some things. 
This is what people do to Kentucky. This is what people do to Kansas, Carolina, and Duke. This is how they play them. Those of us who watch college basketball can tell you that if you're a top-five team, you are getting everyone's best shot, and you are going to have to deal with it. And if this team – if you want to look at it from a bright side, though, this team should know exactly what that's like because for the past two years – That's been them. That's been them. They went out there and out-physicaled some some ranked teams. They went out there and pushed some some bigger teams around – and now, guess what? They're some of the biggest dudes on the block. You might see some slightly taller college basketball teams, but you're not going to see a lot of college basketball teams. Um, you're going to see some, but not a ton with better length. And I don't think you're going to see any that are more physically powerful than this team. Uh, I mean, th- these guys, you know, say what you will about those Duke guys. They're freakish. A lot of them are freshmen, and it's just hard to be physically developed unless you're Zion Williamson. You know, when, when, when who you're a cheat code. Who, who's a monster. When, when you're a freshman and – it's hard to, you know, Garrett Maidenwald and those guys have done such an unbelievable job that this team physically should be able to handle that stuff. But they're going to have to be tough because uh, it's like Rick Barnes said. He told them at halftime, guys, this is what's going to happen. People are going to try to be like, um, you know, they're going to be Herculean against you, and you're going to have to handle it. This, this team should be the team, the, the group of guys that pick up that is seen as the old guys in the gym Mm -hmm. when you're like, all right, we'll take them. That's fine. Yeah. And then you get whipped by them and you're like, wait, what happened? How did Grant Williams just spin around me and then jump over me? Got all these gray hairs taking me to school. But I mean, I kind of, after a game, Rick Barnes is pretty transparent and he's usually got a pretty good, Yeah. if he's aggravated, there's reason for him to be aggravated. If he's relatively pleased, there's reason for it. He's got a pretty good, uh, way to he, he's not a guy that's going to say I got to go back and look at the film and see what yeah, it looked like. You, you don't have to you you get a you get a feel for what he yeah thinks. you get a you get a little instant feedback there based on what he thought and I thought he was going to be a lot more aggravated after that game based on how sloppy the first half was turnovers uh, stuff uh, guys getting in foul trouble stuff like that but I thought he was relatively pleased after the game I thought he. Uh, basically what he said is kind of the stuff we've been saying you're going to get these efforts night in and night out when you're the number five team in the country. Uh, people are going to try to do anything they can to stay in the game with you. Uh, there's going to be nights like this. If if the defense is like that, then they'll survive. But I, I just don't think there's any sense in – There's you don't want to overreact one way or the other when you're three games in, when it's November, when it's – you know, we're just now heading into Thanksgiving uh, week tournaments. Uh, you, you don't want to be your best team uh, right now, as Rick Barnes has said over and over at this point. You want to build up and – and when Lamonte gets back and when Admiral kind of sort of gets back into his flow and, and kind of they got more uh, pieces to the puzzle kind of fitting together, then you'll judge the team. But until then, you win a game, you win a game, move on, learn your lessons from it, and, and get on to the next one. Yeah, isn't it funny that we're talking about uh, a situation where you beat Georgia Tech by 13 points and, and kind of control the whole game, and yet there's still a lot to complain about? You're, right. in, a pretty, you're in a pretty good position when that's the case. And, and also – I don't think there are going to be many times this season. I might be totally wrong, and this might be the start of a downhill slide, yada, yada, yada. Who knows? We never really know. Uh, That's the thing about sports. Eh, You just never really know. But I'd be stunned if there were a bunch of games where Admiral and Grant both struggle as much as they did in that game. Normally when one struggles, the other one kind of goes lights out. And and that, that kind of didn't happen in that game. You know, Grant missed a bunch of free throws that he doesn't normally miss. Uh, Schofield, even before getting his ankle stepped on, just something wasn't right. Some, there was a hitch in that giddy-up all night long. The shots weren't falling. Uh, plays that he normally throws down, he was kind of laying up and getting blocked. Nothing was right for those guys in that game. But they showed sort of the the toughness that we've come to appreciate from them because Grant Williams came back after getting knocked down pretty hard several times. Schofield, a couple times, basically could have said uncle, and I'm not going back in the game because I can't walk right now. Had his foot stepped on, right, according yeah. to Twitter.com? Oh, yeah, just pretty much stomped on. It was a, a red carnival offense in soccer, I think. But, uh, but like, two times he was Willis reading it coming back into the game there. And it's uh, almost the second time I was like, Admiral, what are you doing, man? Just sit down. It's You're cooked. Just mm-hmm. just take, take it easy on that thing. Um, but if there's one thing I trust in that program more than anything, it's Chad and the training staff. I think those guys are great. So – uh, they obviously thought it was safe for him to come back in, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of games where both of those guys are going to be struggling like that, and and they still won it comfortably. Yeah, and we're talking about Grant Williams struggling because he had four turnovers and he missed four free throws, but he still finished with 22 points and eight rebounds. I mean, he only made six field goals, but he went 10 for 16. Seven rebounds in the second half, too. And and Rick Barnes keeps saying consistency, consistency. Grant's got a rebound better. I think he only had one rebound in the first half. 
seven rebounds in the second half, but he's the team's best rebounder right now. I think he has 25 through three games, and that's, uh, what, eight point something per game. That's that's the best on the team. So, And Admiral, yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on with Admiral. I don't think he's played that poorly. He just hasn't been himself. He's kind of trying to find that mid-range jump shot or whatever and trying to find that three. I mean, there's not going to be many nights, like you said, where he goes three for 13 from the field uh, and struggles the way he did. So once they get kind of all these pieces back and kind of figure out how they fit together, uh, you, you know how they fit together. It's just a matter of how this team kind of comes together, I guess, and how this team kind of the, the identity they build uh, over a few games and, and not just three games. A couple things there I wanted to mention. One, uh, man, I think, I think we take it for granted sometimes just how coachable Grant Williams is. For a guy who apparently, according to Rick Barnes, his, his biggest flaw is that sometimes he thinks he knows everything mm-hmm. and he has a bit of an ego about him. Even if he doesn't mean to, he just kind of does. You know, he's just kind of one of those, you know, smart kids who is who is like that. Every it's, it's time not, you challenge him, when you when you say ego, it's not like arrogance. Yeah, it's like uh, confidence, I guess. It's confidence gone a little bit too far. Right. Basically, is what it is. It's it's not like malicious ego. It's kind of a benign ego. He just it just kind of, you know, it, it's just kind of there. But uh, the the way as coachable as he, every time that you challenge him, I mean, every time that Rick Barnes comes after Grant Williams. He gets what he wants because I can I can almost guarantee you that he looked at that rebounding he looked at the stat, halftime stats and he basically said Grant Williams one rebound pathetic and then what does Williams go out there gets about seven in the second half you know he goes out there and does what you ask him to do that was the first thing and the second thing is uh, Kyle Alexander is finally starting to kind of become the guy that a lot of us kind of thought he he could be. Uh, we didn't know that he definitely would be, but thought that he could be. And he's being more aggressive offensively. He's more comfortable on the floor. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's basically playing the same level of defense that he has. And now he's even got the confidence to to step out and chuck it a little bit. So uh, I think when you look at the way Alexander and Fulkerson are playing right now, that's a couple of guys that if they keep playing pretty well, I mean, it's, this team just has more options. Yeah, I mean, Kyle was a guy – Four years ago when he was a freshman, they were going to Brooklyn for a different tournament up there. And I remember writing before that tournament, writing a story about how he got an offensive rebound and put it back up and scored. And that was a nice step for him. Yeah. Like, that's how new he was, still uh, relatively new to the game of basketball. I mean, he, he picked it up as a junior in high school, like Rick talks about constantly. Yeah, he's mentioned that one quite a few times. And now it's he's a guy that's running the floor and finishing lobs and hanging on the rim and blocking shots and... Uh, rebounding on both ends. I mean, he's a guy that uh, there were scouts there the other night. There have been scouts of practice, NBA personnel, Warriors, Mavs, uh, Spurs, Thunder, Kings. Uh, those are the teams that, off the top of my head that have, that have watched them practice. He might be the most interesting NBA prospect yeah. on the team because he's going to still grow into that body. He can I still, can tell you there's at least one Eastern Conference team that's paying close yeah, attention. He can still put a lot of weight on that body and, and still run like he runs. Uh, he's going to get – I mean, the longer he's in the game, the more he's going to get more comfortable uh, in his abilities on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's a guy that can be on the NBA bench and be effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think Admiral and Grant are a little bit kind of tweener, got to figure out what they can do at the next level. I think uh, Kyle can – you know, the sky's the limit for him. And, and guys like John Fulkerson that you talked about, what Eve Pons brings off the bench, what John Fulkerson brings off the bench, the energy, the defense, uh, the stuff they want to do. This is a team that wants to – uh, have a defensive identity and, and hang their hat on that end of the floor, and, and they can do it with some of these guys. Uh, and, and there's more than they can get from Jalen Johnson. I mean, he only scored, he only played four minutes the other night. Uh, Just got to play defense. He's got to play defense. He's got to do a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor uh, for th- for them to kind of trust him some more. But yeah, the, I mean, they got so many pieces that, that they can use, and that we don't really know how they're going to shape out yet. Yeah, I think that that you know, and and Grant, you. And you and Patrick Brown, uh, one of our other esteemed colleagues, watch more NBA basketball than I do. I watch a decent amount, but I watch more college basketball. Y'all watch a lot of NBA basketball. So y'all can probably say this much more so than I can. But I think I know a prospect when I see one. And when you get a guy who's a legit 6'11", who runs like an absolute gazelle the way Kyle Alexander does, who is not just a good, but a great rim protector, and can can now have the ability – to take and step out and hit that kind of open, you know, anywhere from 14 to 17 footer and can feel pretty comfortable with that shot. If you can do that, you absolutely can be on an NBA bench. There's no question about it. In my, in my mind, that that's the kind of guy that if you look at every NBA team, 
maybe bad NBA teams have a starter like that, but like even good NBA teams have bench guys like that who come in, they give you energy, they protect the rim, you know, they can hit an open jump shot. If your star kind of fouls out or gets dinged up for a couple of weeks, he can step in there and start and do some things. I think Kyle Alexander might be as good as any NBA prospect, you know, as any guy on the team in terms of being an NBA prospect. And he's their most important piece uh, this season, one of their most important pieces. Other than pieces. I think Bone won. But, no, yeah. Not the most important, one of their most important pieces. He, I don't know if he's X-Factor, if you label him as that, but the way he needs to protect the rim for them, what he can do uh, on the glass, the way he changes shots around the rim, the way he can uh, block shots and rebound. Like you said, shoot, he's getting a little bit more touch. Uh, he's one of their most important pieces and it feels like you say that about a lot of guys, but, I mean, you saw what happened and how much uh, Rick Barnes kind of, uh, after Loyola last year, the loss uh, and not having Kyle in that game because of the hip issue, uh, how much of an effect that had. And, and maybe he could have had some of those fix-it plays that Rick talks about all the time. I, I think he's he's one of their most important pieces. Yeah, and without question, their best Canadian, I think. There's no there's no, argument, no argument there. Pretty but, yeah, safe. yeah, he uh, the, the way that, that he – and you just felt, I just felt terrible for Alexander because he's one of those guys who – all those guys on this team are kind of like that. But Kyle, I don't, I don't want to say sensitive, but he's, he's big-hearted and cares a lot. Like, you know, just little things like, uh, you know, Admiral Schofield's one of his best friends. And last year for Admiral's birthday, he went in there with the VFL Films guys and spent like several hours and, and over a couple of days editing a, like a birthday video for Admiral of like his highlight plays set to music and stuff. And – that, I mean, he's, that's just what kind of kid this is, you know, and there have been other stories that I might tell at some point, maybe after he graduates, just about what kind of good kid he is because he doesn't want some of that stuff out there because he doesn't do it for attention. He does it because he's a good kid, um, but he cares a lot. Uh, but the other day, I did see him snarl once on the court, and I got to tell you, Grant, I don't think I've ever seen that before. He legitimately snarled at somebody after getting a tough foul on him, and I thought, what is this? I like this. Is this, you know, it's kind of like when uh, when one of those WWE stars, like the good guy, starts to become the heel. You're like, oh, what's happening here? Oh, I like. He's he's got a chair. I don't know. I just I, I thought it was a thought it was a neat moment um, and something on that, his on his player page on UT's website, utsports.com. It has a mugshot and then it has a bigger photo behind the mugshot. And the bigger photo behind the mugshot was him hanging on the rim after that. Lob he finished against uh, Tusculum or yeah, one of them. Lenore Ryan, somebody like that, and he had this it's a really good picture. He's hanging on the rim one handed. He's got this nasty look on his face, and then the mugshot is his freshman year when he's skinny Kyle yeah. with a you know a buzz cut. And Hi guys. Yeah, it looks like he just got <laughs> off the middle school bus. So that that was uh, I was looking at that one night thing, and this is the perfect encapsulation of where he came from to where he is now. And then I clicked on the next day, and they updated the mugshot, and my analogy was over. But, yeah, he, he is, and, and people use this analogy all the time, and it's, it's overused and overplayed. But if you are a parent and you have a daughter and you, you worry all the time about who your daughter is going to bring home one day, and, you know, if, like, Kyle Alexander walks through the door and you meet him and you talk to him and you're like, okay, I'm really happy my daughter did a good thing here. Like, he's just one of those kids. He is absolutely a fantastic kid, and it's good uh, to see him having success. Grant, before we get into recruiting, because um, uh, it was a big week for, for Tennessee getting some of those uh, commitments to sign, uh, and we'll get to more of that in a second, we do need to talk about next week because I don't think we'll have a chance to record another Hoops podcast before you go to – uh, Brooklyn for the NIT. I, I'd like to, but I'm looking at the schedule, and it's just kind of hard to figure out how we're going to make that happen. So, um, just in case, thanks football. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, thanks again, Pruitt. But we need to talk about just sort of this week and what it means because, let's be honest, it's November, uh, and college basketball games seasons are not made or lost in the month of November, uh, but. This is going to be a big opportunity. Lots of eyeballs on Tennessee this week, um, playing against a certainly a prestigious opponent. Uh, maybe not a great team, but a, but a decent team in Louisville in that first game. And if Tennessee can win that game, and you don't want to look too, you don't want to when you're when you're playing Louisville, you want to focus on Louisville a hundred percent. But if Tennessee wins that game, that potentially sets up a top five matchup Friday night prime time against Kansas. And that almost seems like a, like a regional final kind of game or something. I mean, that that's big time and uh, could be a big, big week for the Vols. And uh, you will be 
up there uh, in person, despite my best friend living in Brooklyn and you took the trip, but that's okay. It's not a big deal. I mean, I'm still happy for you, but uh, <laughs> still, what, still very happy for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for you, jerk. But but what 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 kind of a hope you have a safe trip and nothing bad happens. Yeah, hope you don't trip over anything. Hope you don't get beaten up at the Macy's parade. But what? How big of a week is this for Tennessee? Uh, it's big. I mean, look back to last year. Tennessee went to the Bahamas. Nobody really knew who they were, uh, and they beat Purdue, and they gave a really pretty tough test to Villanova, eventual national champion Villanova. Uh, I think they were up like eight or ten at halftime before they fell apart in the second half, or, or before Villanova woke up in the second half, whatever it was. And then the next day they beat NC State, and that was uh, that was three really good performances out of that team, two good wins, and kind of set the tone for what was next. I think they were ranked by uh, the first week of December, something like that. So uh, these these November tournaments, they're they're not the end of the world, but they can certainly kind of set the tone one way or the other. And obviously Louisville is a brand name. Uh, it's a little bit of a different scenario when you have a first-year head coach and Chris Mack, and obviously everybody knows what Chris Mack is capable of. It's kind of interesting. They'll face almost, almost Tennessee coach several times, yeah, Chris Mack. Always rumored or, or connected when there was an opening. Tennessee going to Cincinnati and saying, we're not getting on this plane to go back to Knoxville without you, and him saying, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get back on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Chris Mack. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's and, and, and big he, time. He has Quan Four on his roster, which everybody thought Tennessee was going to have as the 13th uh, scholarship on their roster. as The, the Quan Four uh, Bowl. The, the graduate transfer out of Richmond. I think Grant Williams mentioned him the other night uh, in postgame media after Georgia Tech. Uh, I don't know what happened there. He's committed for a month, and then he couldn't get into school or something, and he reopens his recruitment, and he lands in – in Louisville, anyway, he would have helped Tennessee. Obviously, he would have given him depth. I think we've talked about that at length on this podcast before. But, yeah, if, if you win, you're probably getting Kansas, which was the preseason number one, which is now number two because of – Not because of their own fault. Yeah, nothing they did. It's just how freakish Duke has looked early in the season. Uh, and if you don't get Kansas, you get a Marquette team that's ranked. I mean, they're number 24 in the poll. That's a, that's a really good scenario if you can go and you can get Louisville on your resume, even if it's not the same uh, – you know, the brand name Louisville has been in the past. People still respect that name. And I bet it will have a decent RPI by the end right, of the season. Right, right. And then you look at uh, you look at Marquette. They're a ranked basketball team. They're probably going to be ranked next week. They've uh, We'll see what happens. But it's going to be a really big week for them just to kind of set the tone as to what they can be, which direction they're going early in the season. They don't have – uh, they don't have a really tough test, I don't think, when they get back uh, until maybe Gonzaga early December and Memphis on the road. Uh, that's their first true road game is December 15th. So these are these are the games where they're going to uh, test themselves and, and try to figure out who they are. And importantly, it looks like, uh, not 100%, but it looks like Lamonte Turner will be back uh, for this team. And, and hey, I, I, I got to say, those those times they've had with Bowden and even Grant Williams running the ball up the floor, they've, they've looked okay in, in those situations. It's not been the end of the world, but uh, I think everyone knows how much this team – needs Lamonte Turner because there are times in a season where you're just kind of you're you're kind of having a bad night you know things aren't going really well and you need a tough guy like that who can step up and say give me the ball I'll score 30 I'll pick this team up on my back and I'll go get it I'll I'll get everybody fired up and he's one of those ultimate competitor types who who I think honestly and and you know, I don't know if I can say this with 100% certainty, but I think he might be the most natural alpha type on this team in terms of his personality. Uh, Admiral has some of those qualities about him, but he's not – he just doesn't always kind of have that. Um, he kind of has that presence but doesn't always have that mindset. Uh, Grant Williams has the game to do it, but not really the personality. It's just not him. Um, then, you know, you got guys like Kyle who are not really natural type A types and – you know, Fulke's bringing great energy, um, had some great moments in that Tech game, but it's not that kind of guy. I, I, I think, I think you know, Bowden's such a nice kid, but so quiet right. most of the time. Funny when he wants to talk, but normally a pretty quiet, reserved guy. And I think Lamonte might be the most natural alpha Lamonte's type they've got. the most kind of got that junkyard dog in him. Yeah, you know not to go after Lamonte. I saw him almost fight like the entire LMU team in a pickup game once. Right. Because one of them said something after getting an and one on him or something, and then Lamonte scored like the next fifteen points in the game, and basically turned around and went to that whole LMU team, which was like the D two 
Final Four type team at that point, a pretty decent team with some big guys, and he kind of got in all their faces and was like, who wants some? I mean, yeah. he's that kind of guy. Cancel what I said about Marquette. I forgot they lost at Indiana the other night by t- like 23, but uh, I've slept since then, so they're probably not going to be ranked next week. But t- back to Lamonte, I mean, remember what he was doing this time last year. They don't win at Georgia Tech last year without Lamonte. He Correct. scored like 27, yep. hit a bunch of foul shots, uh, hit some threes. Uh, he hit the three like in the final 30 seconds against Purdue to force overtime in the game they eventually win. I think Purdue was like number eight at the time. Uh, they need him. They need him back. It's just such a weird situation. I don't. It doesn't make sense that you play 15 minutes in an exhibition game against Tusculum on October 31st, and then you can't play again, and you're a light participant in practice all the way through mid-November. Uh, so if he if he's back, if he's healthy, that's great for them. They need that. They need that energy off the bench. They need the production uh, because he changes this team. It doesn't really. Uh, to quote Rick Barnes, it doesn't matter who. Starts games, it matters who finishes games. Lamonte is a guy that finishes games. He's a guy that's never afraid of the big shot. He uh, he beat Kentucky. Uh, he hit that shot at Rupp, and then he man, it took stones to and, take and that and shot he, too. And then he turned around and stared at the crowd like, "Who wants yeah, it?" Yeah, just hit that shot. I mean, that's Lamonte. That that's the guy they need back. That's the uh, that's the guy at the at the front of the line trying to fight somebody. And the the thing is, regardless of what it is, the shoulder, whatever's going on there, I think you've seen in the the way that Rick Barnes has treated this situation publicly, how much he loves and respects Lamonte Turner, because you know there were times Lamonte Turner and Bones kind of first year or two on campus when I thought Barnes might murder both of them, and I knew Lamonte could get through it because that's how just tough he is and Bone. You know, he's a little more sensitive at times, introspective. I didn't know how he would handle it necessarily. But Barnes has gone from just wanting to pick up Lamonte and throw him through a plate glass window (laughs) to basically stepping in front of a bus for Lamonte Turner pretty quickly. He has completely changed. I mean, he just – he trusts that kid. I mean, if you watch during games – and we got to see this last season during the tournament because, you know, you actually get to sit – like really behind the benches for NCAA tournament games. You don't have to sit like way back like we do for some other games. So you get to be near the bench, and you see that Lamonte Turner talks to Barnes more than anyone else on the team does during the game because Barnes will ask Lamonte what's going on, and Lamonte will come up to him and tell him, Coach, we need to get out of this. It's not working. It's not working. Coach, this isn't working. And Barnes will listen to him, and he will go – like there was a time against – I think it was – uh, is it Wright State? I keep getting Wright State in Ohio. Right, Wright State. Confused. It was Wright State where there was something with a pick and roll or something they were doing, and one of Wright State's big men just could not handle it. He just looked lost. And Barn, and he went up to Barnes and was kind of like, you know, 24, 24. We got to go at him. Let's go at him. Let's go at him. And Barnes was like, okay. And they called some plays, and by God, they worked. I mean, he went, I mean, Lamonte knows and gets the game. He and Admiral Schofield are just completely obsessive workers. Uh, he is a guy who, uh, I think the important thing is just whatever's going on, whenever he gets back, just make sure that they have him when they need him. Because I, I think Grant Williams, who's a mature kid, said it best. He said, we'd love to have Lamonte back. We want to have Lamonte back. But the most important thing is that he's Lamonte when he comes back. You know, basically, like, we need him to take as much time as he needs. Because if Lamonte comes to you and says, I can't play, that guy can't play. Uh, because he would play through a broken leg if he could. Uh, he's just that type of guy. So they need him to have the maturity to know that they need him to be ready when he's ready. And I think that that's the biggest thing about that. Anything else, Grant, on your mind before we talk about some recruiting? Anything else with this team? No, you're you're right about Lamonte. They they need him back when he can be Lamonte, not when he's a percentage uh, of Lamonte. Uh, and they're going to need him this week. And I, I I would be surprised if he doesn't play this week based on the way Rick talked after the – Georgia Tech game Tuesday night. I mean, this is a Louisville team that, yeah, they're under a first-year head coach, and they took some lumps last year. They still won 22 games. Uh, they still, you know, went rounds in the NIT. Uh, they're going to be a team that knows how to win games and, and knows how to challenge you, so they're going to need Lamonte there. And obviously Friday, uh, when you get to either Kansas or Market, you're going to need him then, and, and you're going to need him moving forward. So uh, the, sooner, the sooner the better uh, beginning Wednesday. Yeah, because when things break down, He's just a guy who can kind of, can kind of create his own offense. Right, he's he, not scared. He, he, can, he's, he can create his own he shot. Lacks no confidence. He'll take he'll take a shot. He'll take a, a twenty five footer over two six foot nine guys at the same time. He just doesn't care if he can see the rim. 
he's got a yeah, shot. And that shot at Rupp last year, I mean, when the ball's in there. Not a like, good shot. When the, when the ball's <laughs> in there, you're like, Monte, what are you doing, man? And then splash. <laughs> and he hits it, and you're like, all right, man, that's cool. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, I'll say before we go to recruiting, it was good to see Shambari Phillips back in Thompson Bowling Arena. Always been a guy with a lot of game. Uh, he's frustrating. Uh, he's mercurial. He is like the definition of mercurial because you just can get a 25-point explosion and then you can get a what-are-you-doing kind of game from him. Uh, but uh, and, and you could tell the nerves maybe were getting to him a little bit in that return. Um, but there was absolutely no bad blood between him and Tennessee's players. They all hugged him. They were happy to see him back. Uh, they were happy to to see that, you know, it's like Grant says, he's home now. He's he's at Georgia Tech. Yeah. He knows a lot of guys on that team. Even the transfer, the big man Banks that they brought in from Texas, he and Shambari go back. So Shambari's kind of home where he belongs now, and I think everyone's happy to see that. Uh, and before we talk about recruiting, I will say, uh, I've not mentioned this on the podcast for a long time because this guy has tried to remain private about it, but the cat's out of the bag now. Uh, welcome back, Tom Satkoviak. It's great to have you back, uh, Tennessee's. Uh, I guess you want to. I guess he's the associate athletic director for communications now. Uh, it's kind of funny that Tennessee might be the only SEC school now where the main head honcho for sports info is the basketball guy and not the football guy. Right. Um, but Tom uh, has been at Tennessee for years. He loves Tennessee as much as anyone does. Uh, he's been a loyal servant, a loyal soldier for that 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 athletic department, um, and a guy who uh, I have a lot of respect for because he defect he 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 knows who signs his paycheck. He defends his guys. He protects his guys like family. But he also understands the media have a job to do, and he is accommodating. Like, if we need somebody for a podcast, we can make it work with Tom. You know, if we need somebody after practice, before practice, you know, if you need to get an assistant coach, uh, if you need to go to somebody on background in the program for something, if you need – he is just as accommodating as it gets and honestly just a really good guy. And uh, Tom has come through his um, transplant really well. And uh, back in like four weeks, yeah, it was supposed to be like a six week thing. Just unbelievable. I mean, you talk that's a huge deal and a risky deal. And and uh, just thank you a million times over to the people out there who are organ donors. Uh, it's the donate life, give life. Uh, it's an, the ultimate act of, of selflessness. And thank you to people who, who do that and check that box uh, and do that. So good to have Tom back. It's great to have him back in the program. You could tell that the relationship that he has with Tennessee's players is not like a typical kind of administrator coach or administrator player relationship. Like they, he's like an older brother or an uncle to them. They love him. And you could tell the way they kind of, maybe a grandpa. Yeah. And he's an old soul. Certain ways. He's my age, but he's an old soul. And uh, he, just the way that they embraced him. I am old. They embraced him when he came back and you could tell how much he meant to Rick and, you know, goes to church with Rick, and they're they're just they're he's a good guy. We're really 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 happy to have you back, Tom. And uh, let's put it this way: there are very few times that you will get media to uh, give an applause because that's just what we're not trained we're trained not to do. Um, but we'll do it for a couple reasons. We usually do it for servicemen and service women, free food, and uh, yeah, that too. And uh, when Tom came back, uh, Rick said, "Hey, let's give him a hand." And we're, I don't even know if Rick said that. We just did when he said Tom was back. Like everybody kind of gave a a bit of an applause because it's good to have you back, Tom. Uh, it's the University of Tennessee is a better place with you than without you. So with that, we will go on to recruiting before we get out of here. Uh, Grant, not a lot of drama uh, for Tennessee on signing day. You know, thank you, Tennessee. Yeah, Appreciate th- it. This is not like um, this is not like football where guys commit and decommit and release lists all the time and do all these other things. Normally in basketball, top, nine, top six, top six, top yeah. three, top whatever, top top forty four season. You know, it's just dumb stuff. But in basketball, normally when a guy commits, he sticks. And uh, it was good to see uh, Tennessee get through that. Of course, we're going to laugh because Tennessee somehow signed one of the top players in the country, a five-star player, and still had the number 27 signing class in the country, which is almost impossible to do. Um, But I like all the guys they took in that class. We'll obviously start at the top, though. Uh, Big, big get with Tennessee and five-star point guard Josiah James. Uh, huge. I mean, everybody remembers it was only, what, September when he committed and kind of surprised a ton of people by picking Tennessee and not picking Clemson. If you all remember, uh, he had gone to Tennessee on an official visit. The next week he went to Clemson on an official visit, and this is a Charleston, South Carolina kid. I think his mom might have gone to Clemson. There was some connection there. So the Sunday after his official visit, he cancels his Duke visit that was scheduled for a couple weeks later and says, I'm going to announce something on Wednesday, and everybody's thinking it's Clemson. Uh, and he picks, ends up picking Tennessee and, and surprises a ton of people. But, yeah, this is a guy that uh, changes 
instantly changes your roster. As soon as he signs, as soon as he gets to campus, everything uh, next June or whenever it is, May, he instantly changes your basketball program because he's a six six point guard that can score at all three levels, that can defend, that can do just about everything. I'm you gonna need stop him you right there. You said he is. You had a great comment about him eight weeks ago. I I've think, never had any great comment. No, you did. You had you had one great comment in your life. It, and, well, actually, you've had many, but most of them were jokes at me. This one was not a joke at me. <laughs> jokes that can't be repeated yeah. on a podcast. Absolutely. This is a family-friendly. This is a Christian family-friendly podcast. But he was uh, – you said, I believe, he's a six foot six left-handed point guard, which makes him a unicorn. And, and I think I was like, yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. But continue. And I, what is it – I think you've mentioned before, what is it with the left-handers on this staff? They love left-handed basketball. Hey, players. I tell you, it's, um, it's Bill Belichick loves left-footed punters. And, and white wide receivers. And white wide slot. receivers. And Rick Barnes loves him some left-handed basketball players. And if you talk to the average basketball player, some of them won't admit it on the record. Some will. But just about all of them off the record will tell you they don't like guarding lefties because their brain is wired to say, stop a guy from going right, stop a guy from going right. Um, and so you usually kind of would rather a guy go left. But with with a left-hander, it's like, whoa, 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 you have to reprogram your brain to say – Oh wait, hold on. He's just, he's gonna go try to go the other way, and people don't like doing that. And a point guard with that much size and left-handed, uh, and that much physical strength too. I mean, the kid's already physically developed like a beast a little bit, which you know. And, and you imagine, you know, this guy hasn't even gotten a chance to work with Garrett Maidenwald yet. When he does, and he's drinking that alkaline water or whatever it is, <laughs> he's you know doing all the stuff they do. He's gonna be a monster, and uh, just a, so much. I don't think he's gonna be a guy who steps in there like a lot of five stars and averages twenty five a game or anything right. like that. He's not that kind of player. And he doesn't have to. But he he just he's one of those guys. And Grant, correct me if I'm wrong here because I'm wrong a lot. But he just seems to me like one of those guys that basketball players love playing with one of those guys uh yeah i mean he's uh when you look at this roster and i'm going to put something together for the next couple days kind of breaking down what this roster is going to look like uh this time next year with these three signees teaser 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 Teaser. yeah go to govals247.com help feed my kids they're hungry and they're brats uh you're going to have jordan bone back if everything goes according to schedule plan nothing crazy happens jordan bone lamonte turner Jordan Bowden, and you're going to throw Josiah James into the mix. So you got three extremely uh, experienced fourth-year guards uh, in your backcourt, and you throw in a guy that's 6'6", uh, one of the best guards in the country. I think the number three combo guard, according to our ratings, even though they're going to be, he's going to be a point guard uh, at Tennessee. You add him to the mix. That's one of the best backcourts in the country, and you add a senior in Grant Williams if he's back this time next year. Uh, Kyle, no, not Kyle Alexander. He's a senior. Uh, who else we got? Pond's back a year older. I mean, just the way he kind of he, – he doesn't – And I still – I'm a big believer in Jalen Johnson at some point. I think he has got a lot of offensive Right, game. right. And, he, and, and, and Josiah James doesn't totally reshape this roster or change the way you look at it, but he's such a big piece where you need a piece. You need something there at point guard as depth, uh, as a guy that can start right away. I mean, Rick Barnes said when they announced the signing that he's a guy that can – uh, contribute immediately, which is something that Rick does not throw around. I bet he can defend a lot of different positions on the right. court, too. Yeah, I mean, he's that long, athletic guy that they've seemingly got all over the court. Uh, and, and number 14 in the country, I mean, he's a five-star guy. That's that's what gets headlines. That's what people care about is five-star prospects. I mean, DJ Burns was the highest-rated guy that Rick had signed before this, and he was number 108 overall. So, no, here comes Josiah at number 14. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge, huge deal for the future of this basketball. I mean, he's the, he's the number three all-time commit in the history of our rankings, which don't go back very far. But sure. it's, he's only behind Tobias Harris and Scotty Hobson. And everybody remembers kind of what talent those guys had coming into college. Yeah, and, you know, the, there's – I talked to one scout about this guy, and he said something that, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but it's one of the most complimentary things a guy can say, a scout can say about a player. He's a ball player, man. That's what he said. The guy said he's just a ball player, man. And when a guy says that, you're like, okay, yeah, he probably does a little bit of everything. Um, he's mature, obviously. You talk to him, and he's just he's a he's got he's he, he seems to be kind of mentally strong, like mm-hmm. Barnes wants his guys to right. be. And for Rick to come in and say something like, "We think this guy's going to help us immediately," Rick Barnes just does not go out there and say things like that. Uh, you know, Rick Barnes usually might say something like, "Well, we hope to get him in here. We'll see what he's got. You know, he'll have a chance to compete." And Barnes came out and said, we expect this guy to contribute from day one. And for him to say that, it's 
you know, I, Rick Barnes, the way he has built this program, I have never been around a coach who from day one said that he was going to do something a certain way and then it went exactly that way. I've never seen anyone do that more than Barnes because he said, one of the first times I sat down and talked to him off the record, he said, I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to go get some guys. And some of them you might go, what's he doing with this guy? I'm going to go get some guys that are going to be foundation guys. We're going to build a program with those guys. We're going to win with those guys. And then if we're just a couple pieces short of winning a big one, we're going to go get one of those, quote, five-star guys, and we're, we'll, we'll throw him into the mix. And that is, by goodness, exactly what, what Barnes and his staff have done, and I think they deserve credit for it. Um, and, and it's interesting because you look at the other two guys in this class and you say, again, some people might say, what are you doing, Tennessee? Um, but we'll talk about the second one in a minute. Um, but first I want to say the more that I see people – talk about him and I hear people talk about him and I just see Drew Pember from Bearden High School right here in Knoxville just down the road I absolutely love the upside of that kid and he is about a you see him listed anywhere from 6'8 to 6'10 or whatever just depends on who's who, who's he says he's 6'10 yeah I mean you know and and we'll see but uh he he's certainly big uh, in terms of he, he's got long arms uh, he's a much better athlete, I think, than people think he is. And I'm telling you, to get a guy who is that, who has that much fluidity and dexterity at that size and the shooting range, it's rare to see a kid who's 6'10 at that age who is that kind of fluid and has that much range on his jump shot comfortably and who understands the game as well and has as much offensive skill as this kid. We all know he needs to get bigger. We all know that physically he has to develop, but... I like this kid a lot, and there are people, Grant, I think that you've talked to also who just absolutely love the outside of this kid. Yeah, I've heard him compared to Chandler Parsons, uh, yeah. if anybody's familiar with his game. Uh, a ton of people, when they first start talking about Drew, start talking about how good of a shot blocker he is and kind of how he can time stuff defensively. Uh, that's a big deal. Obviously, when you look at these kids that Rick signs, they, they all got to kind of check some boxes athletic, long, uh, got good size, got good touch, can play defense, uh, is versatile defensively, can block shots, whatever. I think Drew checks off a lot of those boxes. Uh, the touch is one thing. Uh, what he can do defensively is another thing. That kind of size, you just sees the floor and you can't passes have an, it. You can't have enough 6'10 bodies yep. uh, on your roster. And what you're talking about in terms of the way they've built this program, this is already an old basketball team. Uh, the roster they have sitting here today, it's going to be a year older this time next year. Uh, with with uh, what ten of these guys scheduled to come back, yep. uh, ten of these scholarship guys scheduled to come back, you don't have to rush Drew Pember. Uh, he's six ten, one hundred ninety pounds, just like Kyle Alexander. And was. I think Zach Kent's going to be a decent player too. I really like he's, the way he's developing, um, and I think he's he, he'll be ready to go by you know sometime if, if not some point this year, next year I think he'll be a pretty good player. He's and he's kind of similar body shape, six uh, ten with a, a, a similar game with a guy that that can stretch the floor and and hit threes and, and kind of be that kind of the kind of the bodies that the NBA is going to, those big guys that, that can stretch the floor and kind of that uh, positionless basketball. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a big deal to, to get a Knoxville kid, even if he's not a five-star, if he's not the number one player in the country. It's a kid that he's only the third scholarship player at Tennessee from Knoxville yeah. uh, to play basketball since Doug Roth, I think, in 1985, something like that. And, uh, obviously, Jordan Bowden was the second one. So, that yeah, that's a, that's a really good signing, and, and they can take their time with him uh, just like they can with Devontae Gaines. Yeah, the uh, and I think it's good to see that, that Rick Barnes has the confidence to take some of these Knoxville kids too and says that he can see something in them. And I I tell you, I learned – I don't want to say people, people exaggerate things and they say, I know everything I need to know about this. I learned a lot about what I needed to know about Drew Pember the second I heard Grant tell me and then eventually write the story that quoted that kid as saying, I don't care if they tell me to go to prep school. I will go to prep school. That, to me, tells me two things. One, that kid wants to be a part of your program so badly that he'll do anything to succeed to get there and then to be good there uh, because that's how much he loves the place and wants to be there, and it's a dream for him. Number two, it's a kid who has the patience to see the long game and right. can see what he needs to be as a player and how much – whether he red shirts at Tennessee, whether they ask him to go to a prep school to help with numbers in case they go add some other five-star or transfer, you can go to this kid and basically say, I need you to go to China for one year 
and uh, play uh, in some league there and then come back. He would do it. He would do it. And that kind of kid is a kid that you can win with. And that kid's game, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I think he's, he is ranked too low right now. I'm not saying that uh, at all. Uh, I want to be very clear about that. But I think when you look at – I think there's a chance that you go back in a few years and you look – and this guy has outperformed a lot of the guys who were higher-rated prospects than him. I just I have a feeling about this kid. Uh, and, and Bobby Mays, who, who knows the kid really well and coaches him, and I trust Bobby Mays. Bobby Mays will tell you flat out if a guy can play ball or not. Bobby Mays just does not care. He's Baltimore inner-city tough, man. You go to him and say, hey, uh, can this guy play? And he'll be like, nah. Or can this guy play? He'll do, yeah. And Bobby Mays absolutely loves Drew Pember. Yeah, he lights up if you ask about Drew. Like – he thinks Drew has NBA upside. Yep. I mean, and he's not – like, that's one of the first things he'll tell you uh, if you ask him about Drew. And, obviously, Drew played for uh, Bobby's AAU program, BMA's Elite. Uh, he's number 154 in our rankings. He's number 189 in the composite. And that's 154. That's, I mean, that's a solid number. And he's risen, for sure. Yeah, he, he did climb after that Tennessee uh, commitment. Uh, one thing about the – Vols bump, hashtag Vols bump. Like, he's going to buy into this vision because he's a Tennessee fan and this is where he wanted to go to school and he's going to do whatever he has to do to play basketball at Tennessee and to make an impact. Another thing, though, is you kind of have proof now of what this coaching staff can do in terms of developing players. That was my next point. Look at Kyle. Uh, I, I know. I mean, Jordan Bone was number 171. He's ranked below uh, – actually, a few spots higher than where Drew is in the in the same – you know, in the rankings for their class. Grant mm-hmm. Williams was number 191. That's below where Drew Pember is. Fulkerson, 238. Bowden, 262. Those are in the 16 class. Uh, Lamonte was number 144 and 15. Admiral was – uh, number two, 251 in the 2015 class. Kyle was number 362. Uh, those are all kind of the big contributors, uh, the guys that are making an impact and, and have Tennessee basketball where it's at now, and it's because of they've been developed by this staff. Yeah, and if you want to look at unselfish players too, like I think that it's not a given that if you take a kid from Knoxville, he's going to be an unselfish kind of team player. I don't think – I mean, that's just way too blanket of a statement. You, you know, But look at what Bowden's done. Uh, the reason why Rick Barnes loves Jordan Bowden as much as he does and the reason why Bowden's one of Rick Barnes' favorite players on the team and has been for three years and, and the reason why Jordan Bowden will start as long as he is at the University of Tennessee is because he does absolutely everything Rick Barnes asks him to do and he tries to do it as hard as he can. And if you asked Jordan Bowden to go guard a center, he'd go guard a center. You know, If you asked him to go try to run through a wall, he might kind of giggle for a second, but he would go try to run through that wall. There was a day at practice – where they were just getting the tar beat out of them. Uh, just a really brutal, brutal, brutal physical drill. Brutal. Brutal. It was brutal. It was brutal. It was so bad it was a new word. And these guys just looked like they were cooked. I mean, you had guys like Bone, who never looks tired, looks like he has three lungs. Bone is sitting there just getting stretched out because he's cramping up. Lamonte's on the floor in agony. These guys are just not in good shape. And Bowden is standing up like a, like a freaking <laughs> statue and looks at Rick Barnes and says, you ain't hurting me. Just kind of giggles at him. He goes, I can get up and down the court right now in seven seconds. And Barnes is like, you can't do that. He goes, watch me. And that, that is why Rick Barnes loves Jordan Bowden because that's just what kind of kid he is. And I think Pember has that same kind of attitude about what he wants to do for this program. And, and I think if you look at every successful team, even though some of those Cal teams uh, that had all those great five-star players, a couple of them had – some, some veterans on that team that were important pieces and, and program kind of veteran guys. Carolina always has mm-hmm. guys like that. Uh, and, and Kansas often has guys like that. You just see some kind of tough older guys on some of these teams. And I just – I really like Pember, and I could talk about him a lot because I think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, and speaking of upside, we'll mention the final member of this class, kind of the – um, the mystery man in this class, because normally you would call Pember the mystery man, but he's from Knoxville. So a lot of people have an opportunity to, to watch him play and see him on TV and those things. But uh, Devontae Gaines from up there in, in New York, uh, I can tell you a couple things. Uh, one, he is incredibly long and athletic. He is very, very bouncy, and he has some tremendous upside athletically. Um, and also, he got a commitment from Tennessee really early in the process, and he never really got a bump in the ratings. So he still kind of stayed under the radar. So there's a lot of things that you go, I'm not really sure about, but there are 
one thing that has never, ever, ever wavered is Tennessee's belief in this kid. They took him early in the process. They didn't care when he didn't get a rankings bump. They didn't care if a lot of huge offers didn't come his way. Uh, Tennessee's got two guys on staff from Buffalo. They know this area. They know this kid. They know his coaches. They know his family, and they believe in him. Yeah, uh, the they believed in him for a long time. I have a 16-month-old son who walks and runs and climbs and uh, talks and does not have a haircut. Animal though. noises has not had a haircut. Needs a haircut. He He's got a mullet. He He's was got a not born when Devontae Gaines committed to Tennessee. I mean, that's how long this kid has been. And people kept wondering: Is are they going to recruit over him? Is is this kid going to get lost in the shuffle? Is something going to happen? No, he just stayed committed. Uh, and he signed Thursday, the day after the uh, fall signing period opened. Yeah, you're right. He's another guy that's it's it's upside, it's vision, it's it's athletic ability, it's length, it's uh, what he can do from the wings. Kind of, you think maybe it's similar to a Jalen Johnson or maybe what Eve Pons can do from the wings. Kind of those freakish athletes. Uh, yeah, and the rankings aren't really there. He's number two hundred six in our rankings. He's two seventeen in the composite. But like we mentioned. How many players on this current roster were ranked worse than where this kid is uh, coming in? So if they develop him, and he's another kid, you take your time with him. I mean, what I was sitting there trying to figure out the other night, can a college basketball team afford to redshirt two kids in the same season? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big percentage of your roster. But when you look at this roster next season, what it should look like. Well, then you wonder, too, what it does with future scholarship numbers down the road right, if, right. It, if, it, if it bundles up too many people in the same class. Right. Unless, and, you, and redshirt, and unless you take a project the next year and redshirt him, too. Right. That's what Rick does not want is five guys in one class, two guys in the next class, one guy in the next class after that. They want balanced numbers. But, I mean, I don't think, uh, think Devontae is any more ready uh, to contribute as a freshman than Drew Pember will be. So it's a matter of do they redshirt both or, or kind of how do they navigate that. But uh, these are two long-haul guys who uh, sign them, get them on campus, get them in the weight room, get them in your practices, get them in the film room, kind of develop them, stash them away. And then when you need them down the road, let them see what they can develop into. Yeah, I think it, it it's, it's tough to see because you don't see this very often in basketball. But it would have been really good for either Gaines or Pember if one of them could have graduated early and enrolled in January because Tennessee had the space to do it, I think, with one more scholarship. It would have been really good if one of them could have graduated early and, and come like Jarnell Stokes did, but use that year to redshirt and spend just be like, you know what, you are Garrett Maidenwald's uh, first son. You know, <laughs> that's what you're going to be for the next several months. Right. Um, you know, you're, we're going to call you Devontae Maidenwald. I mean, that's what you're going to be, or Drew Maidenwald. That, that would be ideal if they could do that for either of those guys but it didn't work out that way and I just you know Gaines is one that there's not a ton of film on him he kind of just is way under the radar and I I don't know enough about him and I don't know enough analysts who know enough about him to judge one way or the other but I do know this he has been committed to Tennessee for a long time and I have not ever seen Tennessee waver on this kid one bit um, it's like they got their they got their uh, claws dug into them and they weren't letting go. And right. that with this staff, I think, you know, people say things like, why do Alabama football players, why do they commit to Bama and get a bump? Well, look historically, look at the past several years. If you have to take, if you have to err on the side of something, err on the side of those guys know what they're doing. And I'm not saying Tennessee basketball belongs in the same sentence because it doesn't, but that sort of theory, I think, holds to what I've seen from the kind of players that that Barnes and Lanier and Oliver and Schwartz want. When they identify a guy and they go all in on a guy and they push for a guy, there's usually a reason for it because, you know, Rick Barnes said when he got Grant Williams that he was getting the next P.J. Tucker and people Mm – that, that no one understood that but him, basically. And he didn't try to say it in an arrogant way. You know, like Rick does. He tries to say it. And he, it's like, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but here's something that sounds arrogant. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's Rick. But, but Rick knew he saw something in Grant that a lot of people didn't see. And when he goes and gets these guys, sure, he's going to miss sometimes. Everybody does. Not every five-star Cal gets is a star. But uh, I think I trust... My instinct when he wants a guy is to trust that he wants that guy for right. a reason. Right. And I think he's earned that that right. So what what do we think about this class overall, Grant? I mean, I, I think that, you know, I wouldn't have minded seeing one smaller guard in that class. I think that's still something that, 
you know, if Joe, here's what I see. If let's assume that we don't want to assume, but let's say that Josiah James is a one and done or a two and done type guy. I don't know that he is, but let's say that's the case. That means next season you've got Bone gone, Your entire Turner gone, Bowden gone, and James would go to the NBA, and you are up Crap Creek with a turd for a paddle the next year at point guard. You know, you're having to do something like, try, you know, put Jalen Johnson there, or, you know, you're, you're going to have to do something, you know, say Grant Williams, do you want to try to play a little bit of point guard your senior year? I mean, you're right. going to have problems, and so you'd have to go get a grad transfer or a JUCO guy. So I think if I were to to, and I'd ask Barnes about this too. Uh, and in fact, the next time I we get a chance to kind of sit down, either on the record or off the record with him, I'll, I want to ask him why was there not maybe one more small guard somewhere in this mix? Because they just sort of need one of those guys. Because I don't think they're at a point where Kentucky is, where you can say screw it, I'm not worried because I'll just go get the next stud the next year and be fine. I don't. I don't think they can do that. I, I think. That's one big hole that I see in this class that I think maybe could have been addressed. Yeah, they they got work to do at guard. There's no doubt about that. And and obviously, adding somebody like Josiah James is a huge does a huge thing for your point guard, uh, kind of as an immediate contributor. But yeah, you do wonder is he a one and done town? If not, is he two and done? What's the I don't know how many how many years this kid's going to waste his time in college before he goes on to the next level. Uh, and yeah, there are needs, and 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 the guards, the backcourt, you got to replenish there when you have so many guys in the same class. Like Cause, you yeah, because Eve's not a point guard. No, you you have to find some answers there, and, and obviously that's going to be a really big focus for them going forward. They need to find uh, probably a, a true kind of center rim protector, a big body kind of guy, not just a a lengthy kind of power forward, small forward. That, that can, I think Derek Walker can do that, but you need another one. Right, you do, and those are kind of the needs they're going to have to address. They can kind of relax at the wing for a minute because they have some young guys coming up. But a million gonna, of those. They're going to have to replenish the backcourt in a big way, and they're going to have to find a rim protector. But uh, maybe they keep kind of building uh, on what they've done and the kind of recruiting momentum that they can build off of being a top-five team that, that gets the kind of uh, exposure of a top-five team. So we'll see. Yeah, because I look at the future wing position there for the next few years. I think they're good there. Uh, I think they're really good there in the front court. Maybe one more rim protector would be nice. But I, I look at, you know, I look at that next generation of guys: Walker, Kent. Um, I really, really, really love DJ Burns. I think the upside of that kid is potential NBA upside. Kind of forgot about DJ there for a minute. I mean, he, I mean, you talk about a six foot ten dude who has really good touch, left handed, can shoot from three actually pretty well. Uh, he's going to change his body physically over the next year. And when that baby fat turns into muscle, he's going to be imposing. There's a lot to like there. I think they're, and I, and I think I'm on record of saying, I think Kent's a nice player. So uh, I, I like what they've got there, but I, I think point guard is a potential concern. I, I think that's one that for, for this year and for next year, I think they're going to be just fine. Shout out to the body changer, Garrett Meanwald. I don't think I've ever seen a strength coach change bodies the way that dude has. Yeah, whatever he's doing, uh, I don't know if it's uh, just some good old-fashioned uh, – I mean, it just looks to me like when I look at it, I think, where's your deer antler spray? <laughs> Where Do you have everybody drinking that uh, super-duper water that you got there? But but Meanwald – Garrett might be the healthiest human being I've ever known. Uh, he's just a – Pretty sure he's a caveman. He's a Spartan. He's a Spartan warrior. Uh, he could have been an extra in 300. There's no doubt about it. Pretty sure his furniture his house is folding chairs. <laughs> yeah, that's – he's like, where do you sleep? Outside. <laughs> what if it's cold? Outside, I get a bear. I kill a bear, and I use that skin, and I uh, I, I curl up that way. You know, I eat meat on a stick. That's what I do. Only only white meat, though, not not red meat. Garrett, uh, Garrett make fire. Yeah, that's. But but the, it, it, it's good to say that there are going to be there are going to be sort of ebbs and flows throughout the season. I think people who expect this team because it's ranked top five to just be top five all season and to to win every game it plays don't be like that this is watch look at college basketball history you don't go undefeated you don't go you know you're, you're going to lose a handful of games probably that's just how things are going to go because um, the sec has you look at even like lsu and the talent they've added and you know georgia's got a, a much better coach now you 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 see Chan- vandy's got a lot of talent including getting the transfer eligible immediately now so Bandy's got some pieces. Um, th- it's a tough year in this league. Um, Bama's still got talent. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot. There's a lot of toughness in this league, and and I think it's a better league. So, um, but I, overall, it's just you look at this program, and and I think that if you're Philip Fulmer and you're sitting there looking from thirty thousand feet up, 
you're feeling really good about basketball, aren't you? Oh, no, no doubt. Uh, where they are, where they're headed. And you're right, top five, top ten, doesn't really matter. Uh, just be playing your best basketball in March. Position yourself in a good spot uh, for a high C line. You'll be fine. And uh, then also you have to, uh, you know, just hope you get a good draw because sometimes the committee right. kind of accidentally right. screws you. So that's just how it goes. Thanks for listening, guys. We will be back uh, with a football podcast for sure next week. Uh, we might try to get Grant on the phone from Brooklyn maybe for a for a Hoops Update podcast, I think. Live from the parade? Yeah, that, that would be a, maybe a, a good use of company funds. Tell you funds. what Snoopy looks like. Maybe we'll, close. maybe we'll stretch that travel budget to, to, to do that, make it count. So uh, regardless, we'll be back for, for sure a football podcast next week. And at the very least, we will have some Hoops nuggets in that football podcast next week. Uh, everyone have a safe, safe, safe Thanksgiving week. Uh, safe travels if you're on the road this weekend. Thanks for tuning in. You can get us all the time at 247sports.com where we've, for the less less than one cheap, mediocre lunch a month, you can get a full month of GoVoss 24-7 access. We also have a uh, always at least a seven-day trial period for you to try it before you buy it. Uh, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash GoVoss 24-7. We have a lot of Facebook live events on there. We're at twitter.com slash GoVoss 24-7. I'm on Twitter at WestRucker 24-7. Uh, Grant is on Twitter at Grant Ramey. Patrick Brown is on Twitter at pbrown247. And Ryan Callahan is on Twitter at ryancallahan247. So until next time, uh, guys, be good, be safe, have a good weekend, stay warm, and uh, we'll see where this thing goes. It's looking pretty decent for Tennessee hoops and for Tennessee football right now, so not a lot to complain about. Grant, any final thoughts? None.